Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. That slow dance special rather perfectly describes my guest today. Two hardworking entrepreneurs who make everyday culinary love out of nothing at all. One is an award-winning restaurateur with 25 years of waitressing, acquisitions, branding, and retail management under her belt. The other is a rookie in the biz, learning on the fly as her hobby of delivering healthy meals in mason jars rapidly morphs into a business. Neither studied for this in college, mind you. So I figured I'd introduce them on this very show and let you, dear listener, learn from their lessons. But first, a disclaimer. I'm never gonna tell you everything I've gotta tell you, but I know I gotta give it a try. So stay tuned to Full Disclosure, because this episode will be so fly. (laughs) A local broadcast of Full Disclosure made possible by the support of Elwood Thompson's, measuring the distance food travels from farm to fork in support of local farmers in our community. Elwood Thompson's local market, serving Richmond for 25 years, located in Carytown. Joining us in studio, shockingly tolerant of my singing voice, is Liz Fishman, founder of Daily Jars, healthy meals, snacks, and sweets, free of allergens, delivered to central drop-off points in Central Virginia. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. And Kendra Feather, repeat guest, owner of Ipanema and Garnett's, and co-proprietor of the nationally recognized restaurant here, The Roosevelt. Thank you so much for coming back, Kendra. Thanks for having me. Sorry if I, again, I, I say this to all my guests, sorry if I traumatized you by trying my best air supply, but that's just the way I roll here. That was was wonderful. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Liz, tell us about Daily Jars, and moreover, how did you get here? You look at your bio, you studied, I mean, you were a first grade teacher, an admissions person at VCU. This this was a hobby. I've kind of heard about it parenthetically on Facebook, and now everybody's talking about your mason jars stuffed with meals. How did this happen? Well, this kind of came out of nowhere and surprised me, too. I wasn't looking to start a business. Um, I have always enjoyed cooking and really enjoyed preparing food for others and helping to nourish them through good food. Um, And a few months ago, I decided to do an elimination diet for myself. So I stopped eating gluten, dairy, soy, eggs, corn, peanut, shellfish, beef, cane sugar, alcohol, and any caffeine. Wait, wait. Does that include RC Cola and combos? Because I don't know how I could deal with that. I think you would have to give them up. Oh, snap. Okay, go ahead. But this diet is one that you um, you do for three or four weeks. It's through the Institute for Functional Medicine, and I learned about it from Ashley Manel, who's a nurse practitioner and nutritionist. Um, and she encouraged me to try this diet to see if it would help me to feel my best. And so I decided to try it. And I was intimidated at first because, you know, you hear all these things you're not going to eat, and you think, what, what, what am I going to eat? Um, But she was offering a support group, which was really helpful to me. And so it was a five-week support group where the first week we kind of got the intro on the diet and heard about what we would be doing. And then the next week we started the diet. You avoid those foods for either three or four weeks, and then you systematically introduce them back into your diet. So you're really able to see for sure how different foods affect you. Wow, you're like scared straight cold turkey, right? Yeah, well, you just you take all those foods out, and then 
you know, as you add But it must be in. a pain. I mean, all of this preparation from scratch at home for people out there. I'm surprised that there wasn't already a Jenny Craig type thing that, that helps people with all these various allergens. Certainly we see uh, in the grocery aisle how big the gluten-free aisle is, is kind of morphing into that that's a huge experience. There are certain restaurants out there. Obviously, Kendra, you're very familiar with the gluten-free experience. I, I I get a lot of that when I go to Garnet's, which you named after your grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've been gluten-free for, gosh, six years now since Garnet's opened is when I found out. You've been gluten-free for, for allergy reasons? Yeah. It made a huge difference in my life. I was having all sorts of health problems. And uh, I went on a, a version of an elimination diet, not not as many. I did not eliminate as many things as, as Liz did, but uh, it does make a difference. Um, and... Uh, it Did is. you find that there was a niche? I think people increasingly at your original restaurant, Ipanema, which is vegetarian, came in and said, could you tweak this? Could oh, you do yeah. X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Enough for it to not just be a, a miscellaneous item on the menu? Um, well, we, we're flexible with the menu, I should say, because there's everyone has such unique blend of allergies that um, it's hard to come up with a menu item that would suit so many people. Like one person might be allergic to... Uh, gluten and dairy while somebody else is allergic to specifically butter and citrus. And, you know, it's it's just it so random. It sounds like an SAT or GMAT brain teaser. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> which ingredients do you need to buy to narrow, if you want to feed 10 people yeah, exactly. with all these different allergies? And Liz, that's where kind of maybe you, you took the challenge. I, I would be intimidated, frankly. There are some people with some vicious, uh, you know, for example, celiac. Uh, disease that that their kitchens have to be spotless, and you you went ahead and kind of threw yourself headlong into preparing. Tell us how you do this. You you I, you do this in mason jars, which is a departure from uh, even Indian families use tiffins and uh, others uh, wrap these things in kind of aluminum foil containers. Yours is pretty distinctive in that you're cramming almost a kind of a, a geology of of your dinner inside a, a neat mason jar. Thank you. Um, I use the mason jars because they keep the food really fresh. And what I do is I prepare all the food on Monday. So the previous week, I will email uh, my customers and I will say, this is the menu available for pickup next Monday. So on Tuesday, they get the menu for the following Monday. And I ask them to let me know by Thursday what they would like to order, which gives me time to you know, real to, to But walk me back. How did it more from just a curiosity when the dietitian challenged you when yes. you when you saw opportunity, I think, in boredom, uh, that you know what, uh, hubby, I'm gonna take a crack at uh, preparing these handful of dishes. You weren't thinking profit up front. Certainly it's right. difficult. You have to source ingredients from several stores, right. be it fresh produce. Again, your 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 uh, ingredients, you absolutely do not include egg, right, right, meat, right, sugar. Well, I have chicken. I have chicken and turkey. Um, included on the diet is also bison and lamb, but I've not um, offered those yet. Um, and I do try to get all high-quality organic meat um, and organic produce as much as I can as well. Uh, but what happened was, I, you know, I, I did this support group, and it was the second or third meeting in the support group, and everybody was sitting around and talking about how exhausted they were from trying to maintain their lives and also cook all this food for themselves. Because if you're used to being able to pop in to a deli and pick up a sandwich or, um, you know, go to a restaurant and order dinner, you know, it's very challenging when all of a sudden you're on a different diet where you pretty much have to start with raw ingredients and prepare all your food yourself. Um, So if you would like to have a muffin, you've got an ingredient list that's I think my muffins have about 12 or 15 ingredients. Um, So if you want a muffin, you're going to be doing a lot of work before you can eat that muffin. You can't just pop over 
to a cafe and And in exasperation, you'd probably reach for the Entenmann's in the end. Well, I don't know. Some people (laughs) in the diet didn't make it through the support group, but most people did make it. So So what happened? So was there a business business light bulb that went off in your head? or you? I I get the impression you were originally thinking, I want to help my sisters, my fellow sisters. There are other fellow, their mothers there. You you witnessed, you you know, you told me that your children had specific food allergies. There was an empathy that kind of sprouted this, almost this accidental business. Sure. It was a complete accidental business. So I think we were in maybe the third support meeting and people were talking about how how exhausted they were and I said well I'm cooking this food anyway I can just prepare extra quantities and I will bring them and you can pay me for the ingredients and something for my time and I will just feed you all and so the next week I showed up they said well you know they were thrilled they said great Um, and the next week I just made a whole bunch of food and I showed up at the support group with all this food and people were so glad to see it. And, and did, did you, were you going to sell it at cost? What I tried to work out was um, the cost of my ingredients plus a little something for my time. So I looked at, you know, if I sell four portions of this, what would it take to make it marginally worth my while? But I was also thinking, I'm cooking this food for myself anyway. So for me to cook a few extra portions doesn't add that much time. Um, you know, once you go from four extra portions to 20 extra portions, that adds a little more time. Did you uh, calculate the incremental wear and tear on your Birkenstocks? <laughs> Come on, Robin. Come on, Robin. <laughs> Come on, Robin. Come on, I have to do that for the for the hamburger eaters out there. Kendra, I sense you, you sense some, uh, you know, uh, universality in this. I was always fascinated that you became an accidental uh, restaurant maven in this town, that you inherited what became – Ipanema vegetarian as a as an unwitting uh, creditor, uh, the owner of the restaurant who you waitressed for and you co managed for, uh, couldn't pay his bills. The landlord walk us back to this. I'm fascinated because this was in no way preordained for you as well. She was when was go- this? She was going out of business. Gosh, 1997. Mm-hmm. She was going out of business and um, just you know the landlord was going to kick her out. The IRS was coming after her. She owed so much money. And I've been managing her restaurant for some time. And uh, this is at the location where Ipanema is now. And um, so I basically went to her. I was like, you owe me thousands of dollars. Can I have the equipment? And then I just went to the landlord and asked for the lease. So, you know, kind of saw it as that was the jump start. It took way more than that to get the restaurant open, but I didn't know that at the time. But it's like, <laughs> when I uh, for me, it's like that's like going. they hand you the keys to this massive earth mover. I wouldn't even know how to operate it, much well, less get excited about it. But, you know, there was no Yelp then. So I got away with being incompetent for quite some time before people figured it out. <laughs> I mean, really, like, you couldn't get away with that now. You, you have to be competent from the first hour you open your business. But back then, it was just word of mouth. And people were a little bit more forgiving. I mean, we had – I mean, it was it was rough. You know, it's like a plywood top on the bar and we just painted it. And, I mean, it was bare bones. Um, but I had some good friends that were good cooks and uh, just made a go of it. And uh, – it, the food was great. You know, we got all A reviews, like, straight across the board when we first opened, within the first three months of Just opening. from pure sweat equity. Yeah. Just, I mean, we just made it work and hung, hung in there long enough. Liz Fishman, you, you've yeah. similarly depended on the, the generosity of a lot of friends and fans. I see that you put out uh, Facebook messages. If anybody's going to be near Trader Joe's, can you pick me up in X, Y, Z? That, 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 I, I think that there's almost like this inadvertent uh, brand affinity marketing, that everybody is invested in your success. Uh, it's like this, this kibbutz on steroids, that everybody wants these daily jars to work. I have been amazed, and it has felt so good talking to people about this business because people do want me to succeed, and it feels so good to have created something that others really 
think is a great idea, and they all want to pitch in and help in different ways. I mean, it is a team that is making this happen right now. It is definitely not just me who's, you know, feeding these people from these jars. Now, I think you're trying to tell me that love is a battlefield, and I'm telling you that you are making love <laughs> in the form of food out of nothing at all. That's the beautiful thing. It was done out of nothing. Are you going to sing again? If you want me to. So. If you I want really me to, maybe so. I'll do a V-track. Encore. I would Encore. like that. Encore? Oh, shucks, ladies. Well, tell me an example of people who helped initially. So that first batch, how was that received when you went to your support group? It was great. And what did people say? More? It was great. People did. Um, how many dinners were in that? How many meals were in that first batch? Oh, man. Um, I think the first week I did two different soups. It was in the winter time, And I did two different soups, and I did some muffins, and I think I did some sweets. I personally have a, a big-time sweet tooth. And this diet does limit you. Um, you can have raw sugar—not uh, raw sugar. You can have raw honey, coconut sugar, or maple syrup while you're on this diet. But you can have no more than one tablespoon a day, which is a fairly um, limited amount of sugar when you think about or sweet. Um, but I did include some sweets in that first week, and people bought it all up. You know, I had a lot of stuff, and then they bought it. It was gone. And so the next week I said, well, I guess I should make more. Um, how did it work? So there were ha- – how many orders originally did you did you make? Um, I brought maybe eight portions of each soup and maybe two dozen muffins. I think I brought two different kinds of muffins. Did word of mouth get around? Well, so the first um, three or four weeks, it was only people in the support group who I was offering this food to. Um, And then the support group ended. It was a five-week support group. It ended, and some folks in the group said, you're going to need to start emailing us so we can still get your food. And so I said, okay. So I started sending out weekly emails of what I would be offering, and I moved to a ordering system where people needed to order ahead of time because, you know, I was wary of... You know, will I guess right? Um, You know, so people started ordering ahead of time. And as someone who was starting up a new business and had, as you said, no previous business background, I talked to people um, and I said, you know, hey, you know, do you have any ideas? Do you have any suggestions? How should I do this? And as I would talk to people, there was so much excitement and enthusiasm. People said, oh, put me on your email list. Um, Or I've got a friend whose son can't have gluten, and um, she's always looking for things for him. And um, So it was a word-of-mouth thing, and people just um, kept getting added to the email list. And folks told me I needed to put up a Facebook page, and so I did. And I also um, went ahead and got a business license and found a commercial kitchen to cook in because— What did you do? Did you seek out other people in town that did this? I mean, was it—who do you go to? Who's your point person after the night you kind of uh, go to bed thinking, you know what, I'm going to try to ramp this up? I spoke with my husband. I looked at my finances. This is something I want to do. Well, I've done it in three-month chunks. You know, when I decided to start offering food to that support group, I said to my husband, I'm going to try this for three months and see what it's like. Um, I've got two young kids. I wasn't really looking for a job, let alone a business. Um, But, you know, I really do love to cook for other people and help other people. So I decided to try it for three months because that in my head sounded like a a reasonable amount of time to do something and see how it goes. And after that initial three months, I said, okay, you know, now it's time to ramp it up. Um, Now I'm going to use a commercial kitchen. I'm going to have my business license. I'm going to put up a Well, what was your order flow? I just want to get a – it has to hit a certain tripwire, right? You have to see a progression. Every week more and more people are asking you for this. And you did. So give us an idea 
from when you first decided, okay, I'm going to take this outside of the support group to your most recent full week of, of orders? Okay. Obviously, we're My coming most off recent of a holiday full week. week um, I think I had 17 people order, and they were ordering anything from a single salad to an entire week's worth of food for two adults. Um, so, you know, there's a huge range in my orders. I think the average customer was spending about $70, um, you know, because we had that big range. And I think it's a great value. You know, it's really quality food. Um, you know, it's cooked in small batches. It's really quality ingredients. And my prices, I think, are similar to, you know, if you went out to eat anywhere, you know, um, I don't know if I should name names of restaurants, but, you know, if you go out and you order a salad, you're most likely going to be spending, you know, $10 and... Um, you're probably not getting organic produce in your salad or high-quality meat necessarily, depending on where you're going. Um, and, you know, what What I really feel most strongly about is, you know, my food takes the stress out of it for people who are going through a hard time of either diet change or people who for a long time have not been able to, you know, eat certain foods. Um, and I know personally, you know, I've been on restricted diets and, you feel almost like a freak because you go to a restaurant and you have to say to the waitress, okay, well, I can't have this and I can't have that and I can't it's have true. this. And true. you just yeah. get really tired of having that conversation. Um, you know, and then also you go to the store. You know, if you're on this elimination diet, you go to the store, even if you're going to the health food store and you're looking at an item and you're reading the list thinking, okay, does this fit my needs? And it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy and it can be stressful. So for folks who are on this diet or on other restricted diets, you know, they know that this food all works for that me. That you have their back. Yeah. But and Kendra, that's a good feeling. I mean, you know, in this personalized business, there must be certain, you know, you as the seasoned restaurateur, let's say, you know, you ha you've now since banked 20 years of successes and failures and learning curves and credit card fraud and all this other stuff that you've had to deal with in the business. What are the questions you would be asking right now? Um, kind of... Uh, you know, not to not to put her on the firing line or anything like that, but what are the opportunities and what are the perils at this point that kind of jump up in your head? Oh yeah, I mean, I I wonder if uh, did you know did you look across? And this isn't a suggestion. This is me just curious. Like, did you look across at like Blue Apron and all those delivery services? Like, when you're starting a business model like this, which I wouldn't know how to do, um, did you look for? cues you know did you look for ideas from like stuff online to see what other people were doing and sure sure yeah I did I did look at what's you know what's local to Richmond what are some of the different um, you know sort of meal services that are here in Richmond and then you know nationally some of the ones that provide either ready-made meals or you know some provide the ingredients and you do the cooking um, and I, I have found that some offer you know, some personalization, you can specify, you know, I have these allergies and what they say is, you know, they're going to try to work with you and they may or may not be able to. Um, and, you know, I know one in particular charges like a $10 fee to try and meet your needs. But, you know, people on this diet, you know, if they contacted a meal delivery person or service and said, you know, I need to take out all of these things. You know, I think the chefs would draw a blank. It really is a certain skill set to know how to provide, you know, delicious, nutritious variety without all of these yeah, items. Yeah. I mean, that's a long list. So where it is, is the profit list. in yeah. this, though? Either either you have to pay exorbitant um, uh, markups at a specialty store. You know, Whole Foods is competitive on a lot of things. But when you get into esoteric ingredients such as 
uh, you know, I don't know, monk fruit sugar or whatever the heck it's called for people with glycemic issues. I've looked at some of the ingredients. You know, there's a woman in town you've met who makes uh, low glycemic index gluten-free muffins and she uses like sheep's milk butter. I don't know where it would it would probably eat up all of your margin, whatever incipient margin there is for you to have to drive around town and get all these ingredients. Right. That is definitely a big time investment right now for me is getting all of my ingredients Um, because, you know, due to costs, you know, I can't just walk into one store and buy everything they have because that they, that I'm looking for on my grocery list because, you know, one store may have a certain item, but it's going to be twice the price as in another store. So weekly, I am shopping at probably five stores plus sourcing some things online. And that is taking up a big chunk of my time right now. And I'm certainly looking at ways to be more efficient and, um, you know, spend less of that time shopping. Now, you recently hit an inflection point where you had to grow out of your kitchen right? and uh, go to a commercial kitchen. What right. was that experience like? And tell us about incorporation and legal. At some point when you realize, listen, I got to be too legit, too legit to quit. I got to incorporate. <laughs> I got to do all this stuff. All right. That is the last pop culture reference. I just took you through three decades. Oh, nice. Go ahead. Go ahead. I digress. <clears throat> Well, I mean, that's been wonderful for me. I've been in the commercial kitchen now for two weeks, and, oh, it feels so good to be out of my kitchen. What does that place charge you, like a day rate? Uh, it's it's an hourly rate. Um, they have a price schedule where, depending on how many hours you get, there's different price brackets. Um, and so right now, that is a huge expense for me, the commercial kitchen. Um so, yeah, but, I mean, it's got a commercial dishwasher, which you, you're thinking, you know, I'm using these mason jars. I charge a deposit for the jars, and when people give them back, I credit that money towards their next week's purchase. Um, so all those jars need to be cleaned and sanitized, and a commercial dishwasher is really what I need to be doing that job. So I'm thrilled to have the commercial dishwasher. I'm thrilled to have access to, you know, six or 12 burners, depending on if anyone else is cooking in that kitchen at the time. Now tell us about barter. What kind of role barter has played in this uh, oh, before you've great. had to actually shell out money? You've offered to pay people in meals I who have. helped you. How does that How does that work? It's I mean, it awesome. seems very 18th century, but it's you're doing wonderful. it in 2015. It's so wonderful. I've got some great barters going. I bartered for my name, the name of my business. I um, Oh, so you didn't pay a branding person or a logo person to do that? Well, um, Elizabeth Smart, who's here in town and is a naming consultant, was one of my customers. <laughs> oh, and so I said to her, hey, you know, I'm trying to come up with a name. I know you do this. You know, would you like, would you be willing to work for food? And she said, I would love to. I have asked a number of people if they would be willing to work for food. And every single time they have said, I would love to. Kendra, did you have to do that? Oh, yeah. I bartered a lot. Tell us about that. I bartered half of the construction, like the booths. and. So you the, pay these roughnecks the in food at Ipanema? Tile. Well, they were roughnecks necessarily. They were, a lot of them were surfers. I remember it took a long time to get uh, Ipanema open because they kept going away to go surfing over the summer when we were trying to get open. <laughs> they disappear for a week and they're like, we're going surfing. And I'd be like, but you didn't finish building the booths. Um, but yeah, barter's huge. I mean, that's like one of those things like cash flow is a big thing about opening a business, you know, like just having the money to get things started. If you can just barter some smaller things, you know, and then also it benefits both parties. Both parties are getting their work out there, so to speak, whether it be the designers getting more work out there or she's getting her product to another customer. 
At what point do Barter's you... Barter's great. <laughs> Barter is great, and Barter actually has enjoyed a renaissance. We keep reading in the Great Depression, um, uh, people who are cash flow constrained but have a, a craft or a trade, they might not be gainfully employed, but, uh, you know, for example, somebody could cut your hair in exchange for a salad. You hear about these things, you know, look it up in the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg. Uh, a, a lot, you know, we've gone back to the dark ages metaphorically with this great recession, which we're now coming out of. A lot of old habits have been have been rediscovered. But one thing about barter that I had to find out the hard way is you have to set a price. You have to set a price because how had, so? Tell us um, how. Um, just had a guy that was like, yeah, I did some work for you, and I was like, I need to know the number, and then I just let him run tabs, you know, and I was adding the tabs up. A year went by, and I was like, okay, you've run up like a thousand dollars worth of tabs. You never gave me the final number. You know, we need to call this even at some point, you know, because he would have just let it go on forever. And that wasn't okay with me. Like, I was like, you did some work and that was great, but barter is barter. There's a a monetary value or a number for a number. This does get a little inside baseball, but when we talk about cost accounting, what what things actually cost to you internally versus the menu price of these things. When you are bartering, are you calculating what your wholesale cost of, say, a salad or a dish is? is versus that person's wholesale price of labor? Or are you just saying... No, I, I go retail to retail. So the opportunity yeah. cost of giving this guy this salad yeah. was, was 12 so bucks for me. For instance, so. in, in your case, it could be how much would she charge someone to do their branding or in their naming? And then how much would you charge for your food? And, and just, you know... Right now, I've got, I've got an awesome babysitter. And she calculates the hours that she charges each week at her rate. And... She orders from my menu, and then at the end we look at, okay, you know, how much more money do I owe her or does she want credit towards the next week? But she's charging her retail rate and I'm charging my retail rate, and it's wonderful for both of us. I think you should rename this business Kibbutz and Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) If I rename the business, I have to call it the Busy Fridges. Because that's the name that my five-year-old really wants me to give this business. And she came up with it after I had the Daily Jars, which is unfortunate because I like the Busy Fridges. Sounds like the name of a band. Yeah. (laughs) The Busy Fridges. Wait, do you – I will not call, uh, you know, uh, child welfare or anything. Do you put them to work for their food? No. Oh, gosh. I thought you were were really kind of bootstrapping it there. No. I mean, you know, there are pieces that they like to help with. My daughter is great with the labels. She likes to stick labels on packaging. She washes her hands and wears gloves and thinks it's great. And she packages all my, you know, puts all the stickers on. Um, But, yeah, no, I'm not making my kids work for their food. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. We're talking to a restaurant veteran who uh, learned these things on the fly the hard way, and she's dispensing wisdom and candor to a rookie in the food service business. Uh, No Birkenstocks are being worn in this room. I I guarantee you that these are authentic people doing it for the right reasons. Uh, They will not dock you depreciation for uh, their shoes. I, I do want to get to that, Kendra, though, the cost of labor. You know, you are calculating uh, the retail cost of a salad. But in 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 Liz's case, um, you know, she's willing to pay branding consultants and other miscellaneous employees uh, stuff that she does. How does a person calculate the input of their labor? Like what was the what was a what was a man hour of your time when you started in 1997? How do you even look at that? Oh, I don't think I could. I don't I mean, for me, it was. The show must go forward always, always must go forward, and I get paid with what's left over. That's always been the way I've done my business. And I think that for some people, and in, in Liz's case, 
you know, for some people leave a job. We've talked about that before. Like they might leave an $80,000 a year job. And when they open a restaurant, they're like, well, I want to make at least $60,000 a year. And that's not – depending on how big your restaurant is, that's not But for how long reasonably... can you defer gratification? Because here's the thing. The opportunity cost, the, sure. the – um, you know, if I wasn't doing this type thing, you could be at a restaurant across the street from the one you inherited – you know, making uh, the tip wage of what, whatever it was back then, three fifty an hour, and clearing maybe twenty dollars an hour. You never imputed that into everything you did in terms of sweat equity with this company. Like, if you look at it at the end of the year when tax accounting comes, you know, I'm not even making what I would make at a as a as a kind of a freelance waitress. Well, I think that's the trade off for owning your own business, though. I mean, you have to sacrifice to get the ultimate dream, which is I get to be my own boss. Mm. It doesn't. There's no guarantees. If there, you want a guarantee, that's when you go work for someone else and you get a set salary, you get a set two weeks vacation, you get your insurance, whatever. But when you go off on your own, that's the risk you take and positive feedback really helps. So Liz is seeing a lot of positive feedback, which kind of carries you through, which is, I think this is a good idea. Everyone else is telling me this is a good idea. I'm going to hang in there, which is what I had. I didn't have a lot of money at Ipanema in the beginning, but I had a lot of people saying, I love this place. We need this to exist. So is the soft praise not so much the the black ink that it, would fall? To I mean, the it depends on the person. Obviously, I'm not the kind of person that needed the money to to hang in there, and some people do. What were you doing to pay bills personally? I was waiting tables there, so that supplemented my income. Like I waited tables five days a week at my own restaurant. At your own restaurant, Ipanema. Yeah, but it's not like you were plowing that cash flow back into the restaurant. The tip Sometimes money I back had to. Into... I remember I would say for about five years I had to swipe credit cards and dump money back into the restaurant every summer. Really? Yeah. Did you give yourself a cutoff point for, look, I can't be doing this my whole life. Um, I'm I'm run I'm I'm treading water or I'm running in circles. I had created so much debt in the beginning that I couldn't quit because I would just carry that debt with me wherever I went, and it wasn't like the job market was amazing, you know, for a. A degree in public relations from VCU that well talk to you me, know, like, talk to me what was about I debt do? because there's always that siren call of debt. We know in college, you know the the very instant we show up freshman year, and uh, Liz, you were an admissions counselor. You know this all too well in undergraduate life. You're bombarded with credit card applications and credit lines, yeah. and it seems like something that you've now had experience as a as a as from a personal finance perspective, as a college student, as a person who's bootstrapping it to pay room and board here, yeah. um, and as a restaurant person and the cost of capital and how that accounts for, um, you know, uh, how much of your freedom is going to be curtailed. Like, are you an indentured servant or are you truly building your own freedom with sweat equity? What I'm trying to say is, when did you first uh, realize that you had to take on debt to make this dream happen? And, and which kind of oh, precautions on. did yeah. you take? Early on, but the debt I didn't take on was business partners and investors, which some people prefer. I do not prefer that at all. Um, I didn't even have any business partners until the Roosevelt. So the point so, being, you never had to sell a stake in the business for the money. No, I never had to. So and where I'm would you so take? Would you glad. take credit card debt out? Yeah, yeah. I I definitely ran up credit card debt, and then I got out of it. And I'm one of those people that carries no credit card balance month to month. You know what I mean? I just pay it off. Was that's how I've gotten to be. You know, I wasn't always there, and that's been a goal of mine because. Um, because it's a, it's a fickle business, you know, like we're so, um, we're victims of whatever's going on around us. Like Ipanema has been having horrible business for the last two and a half years because VCU is building. Um, we are now downtown VCU, but we used to be a block away from VCU. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they've like encompassed us. So, 
uh, stuff like that. You never know when you're going to have a bad year. You get it's hit by food costs. You get hit by seasonality. Oh, yeah, like whatever. Right now there's like some avian flu thing going on. So all the food distributors are like eggs have doubled in price. You know, like they just randomly do stuff like that. I'm not saying random. I shouldn't say randomly. But they – things it like that It feels like it. I mean it, it happens. There's There's a lot of variability in this business certainly. Yeah. Well, talk to us about financing, Liz. When you think about this, I know you're still in the fledgling phase and you're looking at this in three-month increments. But certainly when you go into a situation like the commercial kitchen and the oohs and ahs and uh, people start maybe nudging back at you and saying, listen, I'm only good uh, to be paid in, in jars for so long. At some point, you're going to have to write checks. How are you? How are you calculating? How are you thumbnailing all these things in your head? Are you going to have to tap into debt or savings uh, to spend money to make money? I'm not sure at this point. Um, I mean, in the last few weeks, I've had, you know, my first few. I don't know if you could even really call them big expenses, but you know, to me, they they feel a little bit big. Um, just things like I purchased a fridge for my pickup location. Um, and I went to Restaurant Depot and I filled a wagon with pots and pans and bowls and cutting boards and knives and packaging and, um, you know, those sorts of things. And, you know, also purchasing my business insurance. Um, so you have a bunch of sunk costs that are not going to so, make this business profitable for a while. Right. I mean, you'd have to, I mean, you'd have to really hustle and, and sell how many hundred jars just to hit break even? I'm sure the well, number. I'm sure the number is out there above your head, and I don't mean to give anybody to scare. No, I don't, I don't even, mean to give yeah. anybody a panic attack. This is what our listeners want to know. I don't even out know. There. I don't even know the number. I don't have a business plan. Um, sometimes I wonder, should I have a business plan? But then I wonder, what is a business plan? Because I don't even really know. Um, but I did. I I did make some money in the front end when I had really low costs. Um, so you know that kind of cushions it a little bit. And then, you know, when you start up a business, I know some businesses you have to put in huge amounts of money. You know, if you wanted to open a restaurant, you know, that's a lot of money. You know, the money that I'm talking about putting in was maybe $2,000. So, you know, all things considered, that's, you know. You look at that as paid in capital that, listen, this is my investment in myself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in some ways, I mean, you've we've talked about this before, Robin. You've said this is kind of like a hobby, and it is. And, you know, people spend money. On their hobbies, you know. Oh, yeah, they think about someone getting into cycling would probably easily spend two thousand dollars on a bike and fancy yeah, shorts. But I think I think this has great potential. Um, yeah. I really think it does. I think that there's a huge need for it. People are really excited about it. People are really grateful for it. Um, so I'm going to see where it goes. Do you have payroll yet? Payroll. What 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 do you mean by payroll? Employees. Employees. I have some people who have started working for me or with me um, who I am paying for their time in money, writing them checks or paying them in cash. Um, So, yes, I do have a payroll. Um, But in the calculation in your head, it must be like, you know, everybody um, at some point, a business person, even an accidental person is thinking about scale. Like, okay, myself and these three other people, these committed you know, kibbutzniks are really into this. It's kind of a hobby. But at some point, we hit right. an inflection point. If, if Lord, I were to get, um, you know, 180 orders on July 4th weekend, I need to staff up. I need to have a variable right. staff to do it. Are these 
and not to scare you, but these right. these these thoughts. And it's exciting, actually. Right. It's flattering, I would think, that people like your stuff enough that this business has kind of spun out from from hobby stature to actual small business. Yeah, it's so awesome. What are the eventualities for that? Do you have people on standby if if suddenly a ton of orders were to come oh, in? Yeah. Are you prepared to succeed? In other words, yeah. I hope so. Well, you know, um, I've got some folks that I know I can count on each week, and then. Um, you know, if things, you know, start growing, you know, exponentially, I am thinking that I will put, you know, a temporary cap on how many orders I can accept until I'm prepared to, you know, meet those, meet those requests, Right. you know, because really important to me is maintaining the quality of my food, you know, and having great relationships with my customers. Um, so, you know, I'm certainly very happy to say, you know what, I need to pause a moment. And, you know, yes, I can do 150 orders at this time, you know, with the structure I've built. But before I can jump to 300 orders, I need to take a few weeks, get some more folks in place who can help me with this. Wait, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. I got to take a little time, a little time to think things over. <laughs> Yes, we got another song. I was really hoping there would be more I w- singing. I was interested in something you said a couple minutes back, which um, you were talking about buying the supplies. And do you can you describe, I mean, I feel like I can almost still feel this feeling, what it was like to spend that kind of money, like the larger amount of money that you spend from being a person that goes to the grocery store. Like, can you remember the, the one time that the grocery store bill was so large that you were just like kind of in a panic? Because you're just, you know, you yeah. go to the grocery store, you spend 100 bucks, spend 200 bucks. But then when you're running a business, it can triple. Yeah. And well, then it's that first time you write that 600 to to $1,000 check and you're just you like, know, oh, God. I guess one of the benefits of shopping at five different stores is that <laughs> instead of having a higher bill at a single store, I'm just spending you the spread same out the sticker shop at five stores. <laughs> um, you know, and then I buy a lot. Um, I buy a lot online and, you know, that kind of spreads it out a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure if, you know, any day now my you know, very supportive and kind husband is going to say to me, do you really know how much you've spent on this business so far? Yeah. You know, um, and it's it's a little confusing, honestly, because I and my husband and my children are eating the food that I'm preparing for this business. So how do you account for that? So it's very tricky. Um, you know, my father-in-law is actually an accountant. And I said to him, you know, OK, at what point do I start buying food from myself? Um, and I don't know if, Kendra, that's something that you... You know, if you eat at your restaurants a lot, do you do you need to buy your food from yourself? I mean, no. Kendra actually Absolutely settles not. gambling. No, no, she no. settles gambling debts with no, salads. No, then you have to pay sales tax cards. on your own food. It's, you yeah. should eat for free. That's should absolutely. eat for free. It's a little confusing though because it's you know we're talking yeah. about twenty meals a week. That's okay. You know, that's okay. Those other people are helping you pay to feed your family. That's kind of one of the perks of running your own business, right? That's I mean, my family know. eats for free all the yeah. time in the restaurants because. I run, I run around, don't have a lot of time to cook, you know. Right, I mean, that's totally right. just a perk. That's okay. like a – those people that go to work that have, like, fully stocked office kitchens, you know, like just a perk of their job that's, that's paid great. for through the job. But, yeah, I definitely think that's one of the – I mean, it's one of the nice things, you know. I mean, it was bad when I was younger and I had a bar at my disposal. Oh, no. <laughs> I could have whatever. It was bad. When did you start keeping uh, hard books, Kendra? When did you start realizing that it was crimping your style or, or the, the amount of debt worried you? And it wasn't just about, you know, staying alive to see another day with your first restaurant. Did you have to kind of get down to a discipline and look at costs 
in a grueling way, look at optimizing the hours that you are open. I mean, when did the when did the cold-eyed discipline um, sink into something that was almost an accidental hobby? Well, every few years I get incrementally better in a way so that I'm like, now I'm really on top of everything. And then, you know, two or three years later, I learned another accounting trick or another something I just didn't know. And I'll be like, no, now, now I'm really on top of everything. I mean, just a few years ago, I went online and just kind of organized my books into a computer system. I used to still do by hand on graph paper and add wow. my monthly totals. Like wow. I just was so anti-technology. Well, Liz, you put yeah. out a question so, on your Facebook page saying what I would did. you recommend? Yeah, I am looking for, you know, for some software. What yeah. would you recommend, Kendra? Yeah. Bam! Oh, News yeah. you can use. Well, easy, easy to get started is QuickBooks Online. Uh-huh. It may not be the... In the long run, it might not be the best software, but some accounting software is thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh-huh. So you want to go with the one that you can just easily start up. Sure. And uh, it handles payroll and everything, yeah. you know, calculations for you and stuff. So that works for me. That's great. And my accountant hates it, by the way. I have an okay. accountant that comes every quarter and once a year and helps me settle my books. And he absolutely hates QuickBooks. And he wants me to get something else called business something. I don't know what it's called. But, you know, I just was hesitant to switch over. Yeah. Because the one thing is, once you sign up, you're stuck with that. It's not like they share software. It's not like you can switch everything over right. very easily. So you're kind of stuck. Right. And this is this is me giving advice based on the very little that I know about counting. I will take your advice <laughs> gladly on anything you're willing to share. Yeah. Well, what are the other some of the other things that you've had to commit to? You talk about pots and pans and filling up the shopping cart. Uh, it's one thing to have you know, gross margin expenses where the cost of goods sold in a typical dinner jar is X, Y, and Z. And I know the inputs, be it, um, you know, what, low glycemic, agave, nectar, X, Y, Z, versus capital expenses and things that you're going to use for the longevity of this business. And for example, you're going to depreciate a Dutch oven over 10 years. How do you there's got to be like a T-chart somewhere where even though you're not an accountant, you're saying these are these are the things I need, the ingredients to make this happen immediately versus uh-huh. this is the equipment I need. This is the capital uh, stuff that I need for this business to scale long term. Okay. Well, I think I understood maybe like – Seven percent of that. Question. Well, I didn't understand what I just said. <laughs> I'm just a journalist. I'm not doing any of this heavy lifting. But uh, okay, again. so I think what you're asking me is like about what I need to spend, you know, each week to make my food versus purchases I need to buy. You know, yeah, that are sort of bigger I purchases. Get at your motivation your... where you you obviously you end up at a fork in the road where you're like talking to yourself and I'm putting words in your mouth right. and in your head that I can't just go out and buy the produce and the meat and the stuff. I actually have to buy more equipment to scale right. or I could rent it from someone. I could take right. over someone's restaurant. It becomes I a mean, whole new sunk cost. Right. Right. And right now those costs, I feel like are not necessarily that large. Like I've got my eyes on a commercial food processor. It's a four quart food processor and it's like, I think, $540. And I really want that food processor. It would you know, be great for a lot of the things I make. But I feel like at this point, I really shouldn't be spending another you know, $540 on that food processor. Could the you know? situation force your hand? If you, say, you said earlier that you're going to have to be at the point where you say people, look, not yet. I right. got to take a little time, right. a little time to think things over. I mean, and I feel like if I get to that point where I have to say to people, you know, I need a little bit of time, I'm going to feel awesome about that. 
you know, having gotten But it's a good there. dilemma to have then. I think so. I think that's a great dilemma. Is that when have. you're going to whip out the spreadsheet and the graph paper and calculate uh, with your husband who, who knows a little bit of finance here and right. there, who's business oriented, that, listen, uh, we should do this. This is our next three-month plan is right. that we're going to take a calculated risk in equipment. And to do this, you're going to need this much time. You're right. going to need this much incremental labor. I mean, what, what force is that reckoning? Right. Is it literally people banging down the doors? Because people are going to hear this on the radio locally. Right. I, I hate to give you that dilemma, but you're going to get some calls this week. Right. That's awesome. That's really exciting. I mean, it's not really equipment that's standing in the way of me producing more meals at this time. It's time. It's my time. And it's, you know, folks in the kitchen helping me make these meals. Um, you know, I think I mentioned I, I wasn't really even looking for a job. You know, I've got two small kids. I've been home with them now for about five years. I mean, off and on, I've thought about, you know, maybe it would be nice to have a part-time job. Um, but I didn't really have a passion or anything that I could really think of that would be a good fit for Well, talk about job. passion. Talk about passion. It's something that gets thrown around yeah. a lot in yeah. the blogosphere, a lot about uh, especially um, uh, mothers coming back to work, right. uh, mothers who experienced – you know, I'll tell you personally, and I, I promised uh, with this show to be candid, uh, I moved. I decided uh, to change my life for the sake of my son who arrived six weeks early and premature. And it just didn't feel right clocking in and not being passionate about a job and constantly having my mind on my son and my wife who was struggling to nurse him and all the different therapists that visited during the week. I decided on a kind of a Maslowian level to build that as my foundation and then when I did that, as traumatic as the career shift was with what with the recession and journalism blowing up, I, I came at a point in the road where I was like, I know we're probably not going to whistle on the way to work, but I darn have to look forward to stuff on Sundays and Mondays to tear myself away from my true love, which is my family. Sure. Um, and so passion is not just a soft metric for me. It has to be there. If I'm not right. feeling it, I reconsider everything else. Right. You know, if, if if the money is there, but the passion is not there, it's very much, you know, what what is the price of my soul away from my children you are buying? Right. So right. talk to me about passion and how you quantify or qualify that. Well, you know, it's been interesting for me because, you know, I've had a number of different jobs. I, I taught first grade. I taught baby sign language. I taught art. I worked in admissions at VCU. Um, and there were pieces I liked of all of those jobs, but they never felt to me like really the right fit. Um, you know, they, they just weren't weren't quite what was best for me. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of a, a happy coincidence for me when my daughter was born because I was at a point where... You know, I was looking for something different, but I didn't know quite what it was. Um, and I was really fortunate that I was able to stay home with her. So that that was wonderful for me and for my family. And still now, I really, you know, I, I do want to be with my kids, you know, most of my time. Um, so I am kind of at a quandary of, you know, do I let this become, you know, a full-time job, you know, this business, you know, taking over my life? Um, and I could easily spend more than, you know, full-time, 40 hours a week on this business right now. But I really don't want to. Um, I, I really appreciate that I have a wonderful babysitter, as I said, to, you know, watch my kids for a portion of the week. But I want to be there for most of the week. Um, so there's that piece of it. But at the same time, I have, you know, fell upon this, this passion that, you know, plays onto so many things that are important to me and that I'm good at. And that feels really good to have found that fit of, you know, I get to be creative and come up with the menus and think about foods that are good together. Um, 
I get to nourish people through this food. I get to help them, you know, really on their their own quest for wellness. Um, and I get to, you know, sort of play with numbers. I've always liked math. So I'm looking at, you know, ingredient costs and I get to source out ingredients and look for, you know, maybe the best place to buy things. Um, I get to, you know, think about packaging and I like to make things look nice. I've always been crafty. How did you pick out the packaging? How did you, I mean, you said mason jars because they keep it fresh is what you said. Yeah. The but they're packaging. also recyclable. That's a key. Yeah. A key. But, yeah, how did you decide on packaging? There's wonderful. so much packaging out there. Yeah, I mean, the mason jars are really heavy, so there's, you know, I'm getting my work out, you know, hauling these things around. Um, but they happened because I started with soup. And to me, soup needs to be in, you know, a sturdy container. I tend to avoid plastics as much as I can. Um, so I didn't want to be putting my hot soup in, you know, a plastic, um, you know, plastic Tupperware yeah. container. Um so it just kind of seemed like it made sense. I use a lot of glass in my home, and I knew that mason jars were something that, you know, I could afford to go to the store and buy 12 mason jars. So they were very accessible. Right, yeah. um, so that was another one of those sort of happy coincidences where I found something that really, really was a good fit, really worked for Here's what I'm trying to a, do. A side note, when Ipanema first opened, mason jars were so inexpensive that I got them for glassware at Ipanema because I didn't have That's very awesome. much money. Well, people yelled at me. They were like, I'm not drinking out of this jar. Seriously? But now, think about where mason jars are now. I was like, I was so ahead of the wow, game. Wow, <laughs> you were. You were way ahead. I like, I like the look of your stuff. I know that Robin's listeners can't see it, but it has almost like a sand art look to it. Yes. You know, uh, yes, like that's something what I'm you would find for. on Pinterest or something like that. They're, they're lovely to look at, which Thank is you. really, I think, important with food, obviously. Yes, that's important for what me, for we sure. We always say in, in my restaurants that presentation is free. And yeah. um, it doesn't take a lot of extra effort to make something look appealing, which adds value. And I think that's something that you're doing, which is unique. Thank you. You know, um, is that it looks lovely. You know, <laughs> I would like to eat that. That looks well, lovely. Well, I think it conveys, well, I it conveys the passion. Lunch. Yeah. It conveys the passion because, again, you could put them in anonymous, again, Tiffins or, or Tupperware jars. But, um, again, I, I think it also conveys transparency. Mm-hmm. Which you're trying to, which you're sure. trying to say to people out there. Yeah, sure. This food is exactly what I say it is, and I really make a point when I send out my weekly emails with my menu. I list every ingredient that is in each item on my menu, because that's really important for people who have dietary restrictions. I, I don't want to bring up anything negative, but I have to say I'm very curious, and maybe it's the cynic in me. Do you ever run across picky eaters? I mean, do you have people that are not only they dietary restrictions, but they're like, oh, there's olives in there. It's really interesting. I don't like olives. Yeah. It's really interesting because I've had people say to me, I am a picky eater, but because I am on this restricted diet, I'm letting go of my pickiness and sure. I'm going to go ahead and eat what's available. Yeah. So people are sort of suspending their pickiness. So do you have advice for people on restricted diets? Like, for instance... When I very first had to do an elimination diet, the first thing I did was focus on what can I eat? And I think yeah, that's a big thing. Is For that sure. A, you probably encounter a lot of people who are like all they think about is the things they can't eat. But there's actually an enormous amount of food out there that falls into the category you're talking about. Right. There it's just is. a matter of expanding your horizon. So it's kind of your job to help people expand their I don't know what you would say, dictionary, their, yeah. their vocabulary of culinary words. Sure. And, and another thing that I, I would love to do when I find some a little bit of time is I'd love to offer both cooking classes and sort of menu planning services where I can sit down with someone and I can say, okay, 
you know, this is what your family likes or what you like, and these are the foods that you have to avoid or choose to avoid, and I can help people plan, you know, what they will be able to eat. Yeah. Um, but you really just need to step back and focus on the raw ingredients. You can eat vegetables. You can eat fruits. You can eat, you know, most people can eat or, you know, a lot of the people that are eating my food can eat nuts other than peanuts. Um, and so we just sort of break it down and work on, you know, some sort of simple sauces, simple dressings. You're really simplifying food. I do want to ask a uh, $64,000 question, if you will. Okay. What if uh, uh, someone just comes out of left field and keeping in mind Kendra's aversion to taking on equity investors or venture capital or angel money at the outset and says, you know what? I love what you do. I have uh, many people in my family who are ill. I'm so passionate about what you do. I have capital. Uh I'd like to invest in you for a stake in your business. Uh How amenable would you be to that? Well, it's interesting because – off the bat, my mom said to me, I'm really proud of what you're doing. I am going to give you a little bit of money. And so she gave me $5,000, which I was able to put in a business account. And I'm super grateful for that, for knowing it's there. Um, and she you know, she said, do you want this to be a gift or do you want for me to be a partner in some way or have some percentage? And I said, hmm, well, a gift sounds really nice. And so she <laughs> said, well, she said, I'm thinking of a number. Ask Maya, my daughter, to guess which number I'm thinking of. And so I asked Maya, and Maya said 15. And my mom said, that's the number I was thinking of. The money is a gift. And so wow. she gifted me that money. Um, you, you know, interestingly enough, what I need more is help, time from other people. So I don't really need capital right now. Um, you know, more what I would consider is if, you know, I could find the right person who had the right skill set and who I meshed well with and was on my vision – you know, I could really use their time. So, so their time, you would swap equity in the business for their time? Possibly. Possibly. What do you think, Kendra? Oh, I think they're out there. I mean, yeah. you just, you know, there's and there's chefs, you know what I mean? There's people that, you know, could, could go and put in the time and do what you want them to do and understand it. Because yeah. you've already bridged a huge gap, which is how to cook at home and how to cook for multiple people, which is, it's hard. It's hard to retrain your brain to be like, that is not enough rice for 20 people or that is, you know, too much rice for two people. You know, that way that you going back and forth from like restaurant style cooking or cooking for enormous amounts of people, or catering cooking, then cooking for individuals. So you've already had to bridge that gap. But Well, very quickly from both of you as we close, uh, what is the advice you would dispense to people out there who are on the fence, who are looking to maybe transition to something that they could be passionate about in a, in a job that would mm-hmm. help people? I'm going to go to the veteran first, Kendra Feather. What would be my advice for them? Oh, I don't know. You could say, don't stop believing, hold on to that feeling. Yeah, if I could quote Journey better, I would. Um, I think that they just have to know in their heart that they can tough it out because consistency is so important. Um, There's no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme in this this world of entrepreneurship. I mean, I'm sure sure it's happened, but it just isn't the norm. So I think that's it. Can you go every day and do the same thing over and over? I used to make hummus every day for years. I don't even eat hummus anymore, you know? <laughs> I made hummus every single day for years because I worked at my restaurant, and that's what I had to do. So, you know, that's that's what they really have to be honest with themselves about. It's not always glamorous like people imagine it will be. And Liz? I think the advice that I would give is that it's okay to ask for help. And very often other people are glad for you to ask. They're glad to share their expertise with you. Um, And they will give you such wonderful advice and such great support. Or maybe I've just been lucky and and asked the right people. But 
definitely reaching out and saying to someone, hi, so-and-so gave me your information and I hear you do this and I would love to buy you a cup of coffee and see if we could talk about what I'm trying to do. They often say uh, in this business, ask for advice, you end up getting money. Ask for money, you end up getting advice. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll take either at this point, advice or money. Thank you so much, Liz Fishman, fledgling founder of Daily Jars RVA. You could find on Twitter soon, right? Yes. And Facebook, and uh, you'll be all over the scene, Instagram, Friendster. Right? I have a Napster. website. She has a website. MySpace. <laughs> MySpace? Oh, you're still on MySpace, no, Kendra? <laughs> and Kendra Feather, uh, very nice of you to, to come in and dispense oh, yeah, some no, wisdom. Your fun. time is valuable. And obviously, there's an opportunity cost to coming in here and not being at places like the Roosevelt, Garnets, Ipanema. Look them up. They're on fire. She's a veteran restaurant owner. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This fine show airs on NPR One, WRIR, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Our engineer is John Valentine. We're non-hydrogenated, lactose-tolerant, pescatarian, neo-paleo, whole grains, mid-pH, flash-pasteurized, casein-free, and full of fat, but only the good fat. Back at you real soon. Full disclosure. Nothing at all Out of nothing